Good morning and welcome to another episode of the MANA Podcast. My name is, is Sam Jeske. I serve as the pastor at Our Shepherd Lutheran Church and I'm one of the co-hosts of this awesome podcast. Joining me as usual is the one and only Jacob Lewis. And we're going to be continuing with our conversation on Article 16 of the Historic Augsburg Confession, that article being on civil government. If you haven't listened to Part 1, you should totally check it out. It's worth your time. It's going to fill you in on all the context going into this installment, which being uh, there is a part two. Uh, we're glad that you could join us for this awesome conversation. We hope you find it edifying and uplifting. And uh, with that, let's jump on in. So what you're what you're alluding to is we're, we're talking about fourth commandment principles here. Yeah. Where. Um, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you that you may enjoy a long life on the earth that effectively love and cherish our parents teachers or others in authority um, that we should not dishonor them or disrespect them but honor serve and obey them and give them love and respect yeah as and this applies to this would um, this would this would apply to being a citizen of the state notice there are great examples you look at Daniel who was gearing up to be um, promoted to a pretty... Uh, now, this is, now, again, I'm fast-forwarding. This is in a, under Persian rule. Is yeah. the Babylonian. The Babylonian Empire was knocked, what, knocked out, and then Persia um, assumed the top-tier position of power. Um, Daniel ends up retaining his position and, and now serves under King Darius or Darius. And the... Uh, He's going to get promoted. He's um, his colleagues don't really care for that. They want to get him in trouble because they just they don't like him, and they said, "Well, the only way that we're going to be able to grill this guy is get him on worshiping his god, mm-hmm. or basically putting uh, his faith above his his love for Darius or Darius, you know, and catch him worshiping, present him to the king. Well, they had kind of tricked the king into creating this." irrepealable mm. decree which would effectively have any have anybody who um worships other gods and not worships the king be thrown into the lion's den they throw daniel into the lion's den and darius feels terrible about this he goes down there the next day and he's like you know get your god deliver you and daniel's first things he says to the to king darius is oh king live forever <laughs> which um that was, uh, at, at that time anyway, this was an honorific way of addressing the king. O king, live forever. Notice, Daniel does not launch into a tirade of what, like, you jerk. you got to be kidding me. You got you should be deposed. I, I served you so faithfully all these years, and you did what to me? You threw me into the lion's den? Like, you, you idiot. Like, no, he doesn't say any of those things. He tees off with love and respect. Hmm. And this is this is not a this is not a Christian king. This is a pagan king. A leader of pagan people. <laughs> so there not only is there biblical warrant for this too, but even even the reformers at the time, you know, what did Luther say when one of the big fears was, right, at the time at this time anyway, what what in some respects helped the reformation move forward was the invasion of the Turks. Yeah. This one of the big drives that that Emperor Charles was trying to move forward with. He was trying to solidify 
the Holy Roman Empire in order to be in order to be ready to receive or basically to stand by the emperor right and provide troops all these states provide troops in the event that the Turks would would invade and they would be ready to fight yeah one of the big concerns that a lot of people had at that time is what what happens if the Turks invade and our territories and provinces fall under Turkish rule mm. and we're, we're effectively living in a, in a Islamic state now what and what does Luther say? Well, you better start memorizing your catechism. You better start memorizing sections of scripture. Yeah. Because what's going to be asked of you is to be a good citizen of that kingdom too. Mm. He does not say, get ready to get ready to insurrect, you know. <laughs> get ready to revolt. He actually, again, even in such a in a in an anti Christian environment as they were conceived they in, that they have conceptualized at that time, um, I don't know what that would have looked like mm. had the Turks invaded. Uh, certainly, you see a lot of Islamic-led states, and Christianity does not favor it does not fa- uh, fare favorably whatsoever. Mm. Um, nevertheless, I'm, I'm called to remain a citizen of heaven as I exercise my citizenship of the state. Mm. Is that hard to do? Yeah, it is. We have a savior who submitted to sinful authorities for the sake of saving the world Mm. Um, even down to the wire as Jesus is being tried by um, corrupt rulers and leaders he stands before Pontius Pilate and Jesus does not have he doesn't miss a teaching opportunity to preach the gospel even then Mm. so I anyway you got you look like you got some thoughts that you want to say um and it's kind of like uh, what we touched on a while back in the episode, which was that the Christian belongs to two k- kingdoms. One is Christ's kingdom that is spiritual, and then the second is, well, is the nation that we live in, you know, wh- wh- whether that be, you know, the United States or Ireland or, or Taiwan, you know, or, or wherever, you know, we belong to, to, to two kingdoms kingdoms and that said um the gospel does not offer to us any new laws but tells us to obey the ones that are presently in place you know and and as we're going to see with the anabaptists in uh part two of this article um, because the gospel does not give us any new laws but tells us to obey the ones that are currently in place that does that means that well that that means that the destruction as the reformers would say the destruction of the state or the family um is not really a good thing (laughs) No, um... no because i mean a specific example I can give is the Munster Rebellion. And so the Munster Rebellion, it took place a few years after this confession was written. And essentially a guy named, I believe, Jan Mathis, you know, basically him and his Anabaptist buddies um, decided that what they needed to do was they needed to revolt over the magistrates of the city of Munster and establish a new ut- utopian, basically, uh, city-state. 
And, and the idea was that if they could achieve perfection in the city-state of Munster, that essentially Christ would return and that he would establish his new Jerusalem in Munster. And so John Mathis and his Anabaptist buddies, they successfully revolt and they take over the city of Munster. Um, for a couple of years, they lead a reign of terror where essentially anyone who doesn't, you know, basically what they did is they reinstated uh, Mosaic law and anybody who, you know, disobeyed, you know, the Mosaic law was essentially put in prison or killed, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so... They ran this reign of terror uh, for about till about 1533 or 34, I think, and then um, the princes and such of the Holy Roman Empire by that time gathered up enough forces. They surrounded the city and they told John Mathis and his buddies to give up, you know. And of course, one of the funny things about it is John Mathis believed that though him and his buddies were severely outnumbered that just as god had delivered gideon <laughs> yeah. he would deliver them <laughs> and you know what happened <laughs> they were brutally slaughtered unlike gideon <laughs> yeah. so but it, it, it stemmed from this idea that somehow by capturing the city and establishing this utopian you know you know society that you know strictly adhered to the mosaic law that somehow christ would be so impressed that he would come down and establish munster as the new jerusalem and establish his millennial kingdom part of what the reformers are getting at is is they realize that like the utter madness and foolishness of those ideas and they acknowledge that you know from reading passages like romans 13 that there really is no need to <laughs> you know participate in insurrection or revolt yeah because the powers that be have been established by god himself you're yeah. referring to the um the german peasants revolt uh was what you're talking about i think it was related to it yeah you said thomas munzer uh jan math Ma mathis it the uh the revolt took place in the city of munster oh okay yeah uh okay then then maybe i Okay, because I was thinking of the... Um, the I think it, this might have been a little before... This was in 1524. 1524? The peasant, the German Peasants' Revolt, I believe, was in 1524. Okay, th th which, th th this was after that. Because this was like 1531 okay. is when it started. Well, interestingly, with the uh, as you were saying that, the Peasants' the peasants Revolt, actually, if I remember correctly, Luther was actually asked for, do you... What, are, what, do, you, what, what do you think we should do in this situation? Mm. Um... You have a bunch of people who, um, these these radicalists who effectively were revolting and kind of citing the book of Romans that that I put myself at at risk of being cut down by the the sword of the state when mm. I when I conduct myself in such a way yeah. and actually giving them kind of the green light to quell this massive revolt that was going on and there were a lot of people who died. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, in the um, in the apology of the Augsburg Confession on, on Article 16, what what Melanchthon phrased as political order, he he references Andreas Karlstadt, mm -hmm. who was a contemporary of Luther, who was also um, 
quite a radical reformer too. It was, I mean, not only was it just, not only was it kind of like the dismantling of anything that looked remotely Catholic, but it was basically any aspect of the state. And now we need to uh, basically not just return doctrinally to a certain time, but return like government governmentally back to uh, a mm. certain time too. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I know. And, and at the time of Luther too, this was, this, this was, it didn't help that so much of the church at the time was embedded with, with civil government. Right. Where it was effectively like almost one in the same thing mm. where the wielders of the sword of the spirit also bore the sword of the state. And it was like, yeah, it, it talk about a conflict of interest. Um, there was so much, if you wanted, if you wanted a position of power and influence effectively at that time, it, it almost, I get the impression that it was like, if you wanted to be, if you were politically minded or if you wanted to be a ruler or a governor or some kind, or if you wanted to have power, you either needed to, <laughs> you either needed to pucker up and kiss up to the, the church or you needed to join the church yeah. <laughs> and, and, and get yourself in some type of higher position. And, um, it was the foundations of that were just so bad. Mm. It was just so bad. So I, I, um, what is asked of me as a citizen is not, is not contingent on whether or not my government is deserving of my mm. gospel driven Christian vocation as citizen. Um, I, I will be, a, it's it, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to continue to be a neighbor, even if that neighbor be my enemy. Yeah. Because then, then we're back at, then we're back at Luke 10. But who is my neighbor? Mm. So I, there are ways to, we can speak the truth in love and we can be a citizen of heaven and of the earth. And we don't have, we don't have to pit, we don't have to make these things mutually ex- exclusive, but one most certainly is going to inform the other. You can you know, no servant can have two masters. Jesus said, "You will either hate the one or love the other, or you'll mm. despise the one and love the other." It, you you can't love them both. You can't equally serve two masters. We are citizens of heaven first, and that informs how we are a citizen of the state. Right. Um. Anyway. This is what this what what, what the the solution. And, and what we want to do now is the same thing that Luther and the, and the other the Protestant reformers were championing at that time, is my guiding light to navigate tough questions of what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven in, in uh, say, the statehood of America? What, it, what does that look like? I, re, I, I retreat to God's word. I retreat to scripture. Um, I think also part and parcel with this is like we've talked about this already is such a a critical importance of having an understanding of what is the kingdom of God. Mm. Historically, I mean, at this time, there was so much, a. Uh, it wasn't all that long before this, that you had the crusades. It wasn't all that, what, 300 years, 400 um, years, 1200 something. I want to say. Okay. So, so about 300 years. So, cause I knew that there was one in the, yeah, it was like 1297, I yeah, want to say. Yeah, I, I was even thinking 12th or 13th century. But it wasn't all that long ago that we were seeing Deus Volt, right? God wills it. Yeah. Like, let's do it. And you see this today, too, this idea of, and now we're getting in, as, into eschatology, which right. massively complicates this conversation a lot more, too, where Jesus' return is contingent on who owns the Holy Land. 
Mm. Or how many Christians do we have in office? Do we have a Christian president? Um, you know, Jesus won't come back until there's a um, until there is a, a certain percentage of, of Christian saturation <laughs> in the Oval Office, <laughs> <laughs> or or a certain uh, saturation of uh, of Jews occupying the Holy Land. Um, <laughs> I know that there are tons and tons and tons of different views on the end times when it comes oh, to yeah. um, what will be the circumstances that we will see Jesus return again in glory. Right. I mean, I was definitely taught those things heavily growing up and in college. Oh, yeah. Essentially, one major thing that's very important in this uh system known as dispensationalism yeah is that for you might want to break that down for people because yeah. you you, bes- you just said a big word yes yeah. <laughs> granted now to be fair they're probably like 20 10 words that we've said so far yeah. but that one is one that i'm like we should define that so you want to define dispensationalism that is a was an innovation made by a guy named darby honestly like I don't think I'd ever trust a guy named Darby, to be honest. But he created the doctrine of dispensationalism around the mid-1800s. And essentially, um, what he proposed and what he saw in his readings of Daniel and Revelation was that, uh, for one, there is a distinction between the state of Israel and the church. And so, for example, right now, we are currently in the church age, which means that God, since about eighty seventy, has pressed the pause button on Israel, is now carrying out the church age. And once the church age is done, then um, God's going to press play on Israel again. And then Christ is going to come establish, you know, the kingdom that he promised to Israel, you know. And so, but anyway, so uh, part of that being is before Christ's re- return, there's going to be a seven-year period and the seven-year period now dispensationalists will debate on this some of them believe that the rapture uh will happen before uh some argue that'll happen in the middle and some believe that'll happen right at the end and so the rapture is this idea that um basically there's going to be one one day we don't know when you know so you got so you got to make sure you're a good boy or else you know god might not rapture you but one day any minute now god is going to blare a loud trumpet in the sky so loud that the whole earth can hear and basically at that moment in time every true christian will suddenly disappear will suddenly dis- disappear and they'll be like obi-wan in a, in a new 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 hope where it's just like a pile of clothes and yeah like darth vader's <laughs> like stomping on the clothes wondering what the heck happened i don't think you i've know? ever heard it compared to that yeah <laughs> no, but anyway awesome. so there's gonna be this rapture where all the real christians all the ogs are suddenly just poof gone if you, you can't know? tell by jacob's <laughs> semi-subtle sarcasm um we do not affirm said <laughs> teaching of the rapture right um within the within the confessional lutheran church um but yeah but so poof everyone's gone and so the well the the, the most pop pop popular view within dispensationalism is pre-trib so most dispensationalists pre-tribulation you, you talk to you gotta, yeah. yeah most of them will say that the rapture will happen before it because they because what's going to happen in that seven-year period isn't very good and god wouldn't want 
the church to go go through anything bad you know because basically so rapture then the seven year tribulation where the first three and a half years so well also at this i mean there's so much there's so many details that i want to get into um so the antichrist you know as presented in revelation shows up he becomes this world leader and with him and and because of him this new world this global kind of government forms you know yeah um also at this time all of the jews in the whole world are all just decide we're moving to israel you know so all the jews show up to israel the antichrist is declared ruler of the world you know the church is raptured you know and then there's this three and a half period where the antichrist signs a treaty with all the jews and basically he's like hey you know i'm gonna rebuild your temple i'm gonna do all this cool stuff you know for 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 you guys but then at the end of that three and a half year period the antichrist decides i don't like jews and he starts you know persecuting them and stuff and all this horrible stuff happens where the sea turns to blood and there's earthquakes and there's lots of death and there's you know four horsemen of the apocalypse you know and there's all this bad stuff that happens right and the antichrist is kind of like you know he's kind of responsible for for, for most of it you know yeah <laughs> and then at the end of that three and a half year period then jesus comes back um kills the antichrist um kills the false prophet you know uh slaughters their armies you know and then uh, and he establishes his kingdom you know and <laughs> I forgot where I was going with all that. I think you did a good job um, summarizing a whole lot in a, in yeah, a short amount of I time. I could talk about it, it, for for an actual real explanation of it. It would probably take a few hours, honestly. What, yeah, <laughs> but you know, but yeah. So seriously, where was I going with that? You were. We the question was, what is dispensationalism? <laughs> oh. Yeah, so that's basically dispensationalism. Is yeah, it, it's. I mean, it, it is a particular, as Jacob just described, it is a particular understanding or teaching of what the Bible has to say about the end times or right. the, the last days. Um, um, within the 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 last days, the end times, and then the last day, which is Jesus' return again. I mean, this is uh, as Jacob has described it. I mean, certainly you're going to find quite a few evangelical christians who are going to adhere to some yeah. type of presentation like that within some variations um uh maybe 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 we'll do a we'll do a podcast on that <laughs> um we have a lot of people at, at i shouldn't say a lot a handful of people at our ship are like pastor we really need, need to do a bible study on either the book of daniel or revelation and so we're, we're going to be doing a bible study on daniel um to make the people happy um yeah. <laughs> but um uh, maybe in the future we'll do a podcast on, on some of that stuff, but, um, what long story short to get at what, to explain what Jacob was talking about is this conversation about what does it mean to be a citizen of the state as an American in the 21st century? Another thing that makes this conversation incredibly pregnant with problem mm. is, a lot of false understanding about what the Bible has to say about the conditions that we'll find Jesus returning again, um, as if somehow that if if we can then, like somehow we can effectively 
grab Jesus' arm and pull it behind his back and say, hey, come back now. Yeah. Uh, where we can oh, basically... That's where I was going with what I was saying. And that's it. Where basically we can... We can... Um, we basically can set the stage for Christ's return. Yeah. That... If this, we could just get the right guys in office, if we could just get all the Jews back to Israel, you know, and I, then... I, 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 would all, I would also be willing to bet a lot of people who think this way too believe that we cooperate in our salvation as well. Exactly. Or cooperate in me coming oh, to faith. Time. Where it's just like, it's, uh, it's like on the one hand, it's like, oh, we're saved by grace through faith on account of Christ alone, not by works so that no one can boast. But you have to make a, you have to make a sincere confession of faith. <laughs> you need to sit, you need to open your, your heart wide, fling wide the door of your heart, roll out the red carpet and parade yeah. Jesus on in. Jesus is knocking. Are you going to answer the door? I know. It, <laughs> but in, so in some respect, uh, that same type of synergism and cooperation we see with the, um, with a lot of false teachings that pertaining to Jesus returning again in glory. We're not going to get into that today. The reason why we right. brought this up was simply to say that there are a lot of people who, if I have if I have a false understanding of what are the conditions that will then usher in Christ's return, then I'm my idea of Christian vocationhood is I need to make these circumstances happen. Yeah, It's my job to make these circumstances happen so as to accelerate Jesus' return or set the stage for his return, because that's my job. And what I've often found is that a lot, if we're not careful, well, first of all, I don't even want to give the impression that I'm nodding with credence to this type of thinking whatsoever, because this is just simply not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that no one will know the day or the hour. Mm. Be ready, Jesus says. Be ready like expecting a thief to come in the night. You don't know the hour, so you want to be ready. If you knew the hour, then it's just like, okay, he's going to show up on this day. We don't need to stress out about home security or any of this other stuff right now. But he's going to come on, like, January 22nd. So as long as, like, on January 21st, <laughs> we're, like, getting ready, then we'll be ready for him. And then, you know, Jesus doesn't talk that way, nor should we. Mm. Um, I heard this quote the other day, um, and I, I don't know if this is attributed to Luther or not, but... The question, but I do think that it's it's quite a Lutheran sentiment. The question was posed to Luther: If you knew that Jesus would come, would be coming tomorrow, what would you do today? And Luther allegedly said, "I would plant an apple tree." <laughs> and there's a lot of profundity there. Mm. There's a ton of instead of instead of I mean certainly, it's carrying out the vocation that Christ has given me to today. Right. He's given me today, not uh, today, not my vocation to serve and carry out today with um, with the view of his return imposing on what I do today. Right. We work while it is day. Yeah. Um, we put our hand on the plow and we have our eye on Christ and we work and work and work. And he's the one who says when it's when it's when it's time to be done. Right. I mean, um, your yeah. daily life is your Christian life. Yeah. There is no, you know, like, let, like I meant, meant, mentioned earlier, there is no such thing as, you know, I check my Christianity at the door when I go into work. There isn't. Because yeah. even, even that work you're doing, whether in the office, at the mill, or, right. or wherever, even that is done, you know, at that, that, that is, for one, you've been called by God to perform that work. 
And two, I mean, you're doing it for him and his glory. You right. know, there, 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 there is, you know, and, and it's like this idea that, cause I've heard people, you know, cause, uh, I remember when I first decided to become a Lutheran, a lot of my family was disappointed because they're like, but you were supposed to be a pastor. You were supposed to, you know, you, you were supposed to, you know, be important, you know, you're supposed to, you know, and, and it, to me, it comes from this false idea that somehow being a pastor or a missionary is somehow a higher or more holy calling than anything right. else I could be doing. When in reality, you know, I mean, planting an apple tree, you know, I mean, say like being like a farmhand on an apple orchard is is just as, you know, God-pleasing as being a pastor. It's like I, I don't have yeah. to be a pastor to, you know... Right. You know, for God to, you know, be happy with me, you know, like <laughs> the other sentiment with that apple, you know, what would you do today if Jesus were coming tomorrow and Luther's alleged response is plant an apple tree wasn't simply to express the even with something as simply as appreciating the nature, the beautiful creation that God has given us and planting an apple and, and, and seeing even the planting of an apple tree as a beautiful vocational mm -hmm. exercise. Um, the sentiment there is you're doing something that the fruits of your labor you would not see for some time, mm. yet nevertheless you still work today, not with the the end imposing on the present. Yeah, and I think that that's a that's an incredibly important sentiment because if I'm not careful, my understanding of how my my teachings on the end times, particularly what you just described, um, dare I say, the false teaching of dispensationalism, mm. that does impose on me carrying out my Christian vocation today right. in an adversative way. It yeah. can, it can anyway. I, yeah, I don't want to sweep, speak sweepingly, but right. now when I, I heard someone, um, a listener to this podcast, wisely said that there can be such a sinful infatuation and obsession with unlocking the mystery of of uh, of when Jesus will return then that's all that I basically I basically reduce all of Christian vocationhood all of me being a universal priest with or part of the universal priesthood of all believers my Christianity is reduced to nothing more than solving a multifaceted Rubik's cube mm. or like a like a, a, a more than a cube yeah. like a Rubik's <laughs> or a, I <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I've heard sermons w w where b basically the application, like the main point, you know, was, okay, you know, Christ could come at any minute now. He could come like a thief in the night, which is actually, which is funny because they say that, but they also believe that before Christ's co second coming, there'll be a rapture and then a seven-year period. So it's like, why are you so worried about Christ coming at any minute if your system I know. states that there's going to be a rapture in a seven-year period before that? It's kind of like my a, other yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the other thing that kind of grinds my gears about about that is that well, <laughs> if Christ is coming at a thief in the night, if there's going to be a rapture then a seven-year period, then wouldn't we then know the day and hour in I which know. it's like okay, well, the tribulation happened today, so according to my cal calculations, seven years from I now know. Christ will come. You know, it's like what 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 happened to the whole you know like coming in the thief of the night, no man knows the day or hour. It's like it's don't you just love it when it's the just, guy who's gonna break into your home comes by 
what seven years beforehand right says, hi uh my name's steve i'm gonna break into your home in seven years yeah. on this date so uh i'll see you around exactly it's, their system is so stupid it makes me mad you know? but, but, but but see but the, here's but, what ends up happening to this to this to this person's point is that this that obsession with the hour and the time and the day that ends up becoming Christianity is reduced to yeah. solving the mystery. Yeah. And and then and how does this to bring it back to what we're looking at with civil government, how does this then impose on on this? Um, yeah, but it's like this uh usually what the application, you know, will will be is we don't know the day or hour therefore you know what are you doing for jesus now are, are you doing church things are you serving in your church are you reading your bible are you praying like you need to you know forsake this world and you need to you know you need to fast tithe you know you need to do the churchy things you know otherwise when jesus does come and he sees you like you know. Do you see how even with that that statement right there, that actually reinforces the sentiment that's being presented on the secular side of things mm-hmm. of you need to you need to divorce your faith from right. this. Yeah. And so this is so I, this is not just a one sided issue where you just see um, folks maybe who are of a particular um, a a particular postmodern secular bent. Um, this is not just being pushed by them where they're saying you need to check your faith at the door when you step into the office or step out of the streets or step into the ballot box. This is actually being pushed by Christian churches yeah. too. Oh, and yeah. they are they are both wrong. They are both wrong for different reasons. But you, you, you like this is what I this is what I love about biblical Christianity and why I particularly love about Lutheran our Lutheran tradition is that the doctrine of vocation, especially citizen to the state it actually does not say you need to wash your hands of this world. We're in the world. We're just not of it. We're citizens of heaven first, then citizens of the state. 